Welcome to In the Know by Diane Schindler. This is Diane Schindler speaking. I'm the host of In the Know, the podcast show. I'm an author, a presenter, a solo nomad, a travel blogger, and a photographer. So this podcast show includes writing tips, travel tips, and my views of life from savvy and thoughtful to quirky and humorous. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to In the Know. We have a very special episode today. We're interviewing Valerie Francis. Valerie is a Canadian writer and she's a best-selling author of fiction for women and children. And she's so obsessed with the craft of storytelling that she started an online book club featuring stories by for and about women. Check that out in the show notes. She's also a story, a certified story grid editor. Now, for those of you who do not know about story grid, stay tuned. There's so many of my fellow writers that aren't uh, aware of story grid. For me, it's sort of the Bible of writing. So as a writer, Valerie understands what it feels like to struggle with a manuscript that doesn't work. And she spent many night, late nights, like the rest of us, rewriting drafts in frustration. But all of that changed in January of 2015, 2015. She's going to tell us about that. She also has written a love story under the pseudonym of Robin St. Croix, Masquerade. It's designed for busy women on the go. She will tell us how she has released that book in 12 parts. I think you'll be very interested in that. The other thing that we're going to talk about today is the fact that Valerie is involved in three podcast shows. She co-hosts two podcasts for writers. The first is the Story Grit Editor Roundtable, and it's focused on the craft of writing. And every Friday, I cannot wait for the Story Grit Editor Roundtable to be released. So Valerie, along with her fellow certified Story Grit Editors, analyze a film according to the editing method developed by Sean Cohn. You're going to hear about Sean Cohn. The second podcast is called The Book Launch Show. Now, Valerie learns how to develop a relationship with her readers from book marketing expert Tim Grawl. And more recently, so you listeners out there are getting in on the ground floor in this very new podcast that's called Up, The Unpodcast Show. There are only two episodes to my knowledge. Valerie may correct that. But I listened to both of those. The first Up podcast show really explains the concept, the unpodcast show. And the second one, she talks about characterization. She and Leslie Watts. Now, Leslie Watts is also a certified story grid editor. They are chock full of so much information. She and Leslie talk about characterization, development of character that goes beyond what we've always learned about writing the backstory of your character. So that's what we're going to cover today. Thank you, Valerie, for coming today. I appreciate it so much. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Tell us about StoryGrid and what compelled you to become a StoryGrid editor. Well, the StoryGrid is um, an editing method developed by Sean Coyne during his 25-year career in the big five publishing houses in New York. He would have a completed manuscript arrive on his desk, and it was his job to work with it and make it the best that it could be. So everyone won, <laughs> essentially, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So I've been writing my entire life. Before I became a novelist, I wrote, I was a journalist, and I wrote... Um, um, you know, business 
documents and all that good stuff. So when I decided to become a novelist full-time, I sort of struggled and I struggled and I was sort of writing by instinct. And my first novel, which is a children's middle grade fantasy uh, called Crossing the Rubicon, that's really my baseline. That was written pretty much on instinct. It's, it's a hero's journey story, so it works. And I was able to make it work simply because I read so many other books, mm-hmm. like the one that I wanted to write, that I kind of figured out how it worked. But I also came up with a huge list of questions of things that I couldn't figure out. And so I finished that book December 23rd, 2014. And I said, I can't do any more with this. That's it. I'm done. I'm shipping it. January 2nd, 2015, I saw an interview with Sean Coyne on Joanna Penn's podcast, The Creative Pen, which I highly recommend to everyone. I had never heard of Sean Coyne. I didn't know him from Adam. In that interview, he answered so many of the questions that I had that I went to his website. He was blogging his book at that time, The Story Grid, What Good Editors Know. And I just couldn't get the information fast enough. I knew it was a gold mine. While I was writing my first book, I spent a lot of money. At one point, I started to add it up and it just upset me. So I stopped. (laughs) 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 I spent a lot of money on writing courses and editors and really just trying to figure out how this craft works, how this industry works. What I discovered is that very few people knew. The last case that I had, when I sort of threw up my hands in frustration, I paid this editor a lot of money to help me as I was writing the book. And in he was making recommendations that kind of went against my instinct. And I, I thought, well, he's got many books out. I don't have any out at that point. I'll just do whatever he tells me to do. In the end, after many thousands of dollars, he basically told me to put the book back the way it was before I paid him any money. Oh boy. And I thought, what, what is happening here? <laughs> so when Sean, he had his podcast, first he had this book and then he had a podcast with Tim Grawl, who you mentioned earlier. And then he did a love story workshop in New York City. And that was, uh, I believe it was February, 2017. And I went to that. I spent two days with Sean and I thought, this guy knows what he's talking about. He's got the bona fides. He's got the information locked up in that head of his. I'm just going to, whatever he's teaching, I'm going to learn because he knows it. Later that year, they decided to certify some editors because as you can imagine, Sean is inundated Mm -hmm. with requests for people to edit his work. And frankly, I can't afford Sean. His prices are very, very high because he works with the A-listers, right? The 1% in the industry. So it was cheaper and faster for me to get him to teach me. So that's why I became an editor. I wanted to learn the information myself, but I also wanted to help other writers with their work so that they weren't paying thousands of dollars to people who while they may have very good intentions, because I do believe that the, the guy who was helping me had very good intentions, but you can't give what you don't have, right? Right. So he didn't know this stuff, so he couldn't pass it along to me. That's why I wanted to become an editor, to help my own work, but also to help other writers so that they get the information that they need early in the process or as early as possible in the process so they can ultimately save themselves a lot of time, a lot of money, and a lot of headache. Frustration. Yeah, absolutely. I know about frustration because I started writing a thriller because I thought I knew how to write a thriller because I was in Kosovo and Macedonia for a bit and I had these, this brainstorm before I knew about StoryGrid. And I take a class and the instructor of the class uses a lot of the StoryGrid elements. I just kept writing and now I finished the first draft. I just wanted to let the audience know how much I struggled to write this thriller, finished the first draft and started on the second draft. And I thought, what in the world am I going to do? Because just like you and Leslie indicated in your first unpodcast show about characterization, I realized I didn't have a compelling need 
or want for my protagonist. Mm -hmm, Oh my gosh. And you know, I hadn't, wouldn't even be able to use that word choice if I had not listened to you and the the other roundtablers as well as Sean. So it is a goldmine. about masquerade it's really interested in letting people you're letting people know how you're releasing that book so masquerade i originally released under the name robin st croix as you mentioned and because i had a children's book out and i wanted to separate the two but uh, i don't know i'm very busy i do not have time for an alter ego (laughs) right i just found it too hard to live a double life so now it's just out under my own name valerie francis so uh you won't find it under robin st croix anywhere anymore And the whole idea came about when I was having, I was at a dinner party with my friends. They're all super busy women. They've got kids and busy careers and they're sort of in that sandwich generation where they're looking after aging parents and they're volunteers at the soccer things and the trying to keep their marriages afloat and all that good stuff. Because I'm a writer, the conversation usually comes around to books sooner or or later. And they admitted to me that they didn't really read as much as they used to because one, they're really busy. Two, when they look at a book, for a lot of them, it felt like more work. What they were reading tended to be things that they needed to read for their career. I asked them, what would they want from a book? And I kind of wrote it with my girlfriends in mind, right? To, To entertain them and to entertain myself, of course. So I wrote it, I just, it's one novel, it's one story, but it's in 12 parts and you have to start at part one and go all the way through in sequence. It's complete escapism. Each part is short enough for, you know, it's the length of a glass of wine or a commute <laughs> home. You can easily read it on your phone if, if you have like the Kindle app or the Kobo app on your phone or iBooks. So it's nice and short. It's not, it's 20, 30 minutes for each part. So that's not a huge commitment. So that was one of the reasons why I broke it down into shorter parts so that they wouldn't look at a big 500 page book and think, oh, that's work. And that's all digitally. So the book went out in digital form. And at the time when I released it, it was a part a month because the story takes place over a year. So I released each part in the month that the story was taking place. And so it's called Masquerade. It starts with a masquerade ball in October. So the first part went out in October. So all 12 parts are out in digital form. And right now, as we record this episode, I'm in the process of producing print and paperback. Uh, it's hardcover, sorry, and paperback versions of the book because a lot of people have heard about the book and they contact me because they prefer a physical book to read rather mm-hmm. than a digital book. I'm really picky about the hard copy books that I buy. So I'm really designing this book so that it's a pleasurable reading experience because it's still escapism. It's about this, these two people, Isla and Colin, who have really, you know, they're struggling under the pressures of life that we all struggle under. And they are also looking for an escape, just like the reader is looking for an escape. So they get invited to this masquerade ball. And basically they have the opportunity to, they don't know each other. Okay. They meet Mm -hmm. at the masquerade ball and they're given an opportunity to take part in a game that will take place over a year where they will get together once a month without knowing who the other is. They, They don't know their true identity and they can have a little rendezvous, all expenses paid. No one will ever find out. And that's where the tagline for the story came from. What would you do? if you knew you wouldn't get caught. (laughs) So that's where it came from. So each book is a a tantalizing little escape. I'm finding out that couples tend to like to read a part together. Uh, 
I don't ask any more information than that because <laughs> it's not my business. But people are really enjoying it. It's it's absolutely escapism. But at the end, they kind of realize why why Isla and Colin were so unhappy in the first place and what made them go into this masquerade, this game in the first place. They kind of look at them themselves and wonder, oh, well, would I do that? Am I looking for an escape or what can I change in my life now that uh, will allow me to have the same experience without the consequences that Isla and Colin went through? Well, and I'm going back to the notion of releasing chapter a month really keeps your reader hooked almost. Yeah, they want to know the next, okay, now what's going to happen? Now what's going to happen? Yeah. So I, I really think that's a clever way to release, release it, not only to help, as you said, your readers because they're busy, but also sort of hook them, hook them in. If you're going to do that, you really have to make sure you deliver on time because people are waiting for it. The other option is to write the whole thing, still have it in parts, but release it all at once, sort of, you know, follow the Netflix model. Mm -hmm. And now that I've done it once, I kind of like the Netflix model better because people can read at their leisure. They can read it, you know, one part a day, one part a week, one part a month, or they can just sit down and binge read the whole thing in a weekend. That's a great idea. And I love the book cover, by the way. Thank you. So now we're moving on to the book launch show. I just listened to this yesterday. The notion of it was how do you get 10,000 pairs of eyeballs on your book? Right. And, yeah. And um, you had sort of a three-pronged approach to marketing. I mean, I don't know how much you want to get into that, but I was just curious if you could give us an overview of that and then tell me, I think this podcast took place in June of mm -hmm. last year. So can mm -hmm. you tell us what your strategy was and how it's working for you? Yeah, well, probably like a lot of writers, when I came into this business, I was, I was so overwhelmed by all of the information in terms of the, the marketing. And still to this day, when I pop into different writers groups that, that I'm part of online, the conversation that I'm hearing is all about sales. It's all about hacking the latest algorithm and all that good stuff. And personally, I don't have a lot of patience for that sort of stuff because this industry, anyone who is entering it as a get rich quick scheme is going to be disappointed very quickly. The reality of this job is 180 degrees from the public perception of this job. It's, this is not a sprint. This is a marathon. In order to be successful, you have to provide consistently great stories over time. It's not about whacking off as many stories as you can, as quickly as you can, and throwing them out into the, the online retailers and then hacking algorithms, in my opinion. That's not where my, where my philosophy is at mm. all. I agree. But I didn't know any of this when I started. So I was, again, like I was following whatever editor I thought knew what they were talking about. I was following whatever marketing advice I thought these people, they knew what they were talking about. It turns out they didn't. So I ended up with a, a huge list that wasn't doing anything. Very, very low open rate. People would certainly sign up to get part one of Masquerade and then they would unsubscribe immediately or they would give me, they would sign up with people just have, you know, email lists that they, or email addresses that they use to sign up for these things and then never ever check again and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So it was part of the exercise that I did with Tim Grawl. I totally cleaned up that list. Anyone who hadn't opened an email from me in a period of time or whatever, I just, I deleted from the list. And I thought if they want to resubscribe, they can certainly resubscribe. They can, I'm easy to contact through my website. So if they are looking for material that they're not getting anymore, I'm happy to put them back on the list. Uh, not one person contacted me. So I'm sure they didn't even notice that they were off the list. The other thing too is when I switched, they, they were waiting for 
messages from Robin St. Croix, but when I switched oh, to Valerie yeah. Francis, they, they weren't sure what was happening, mm -hmm. uh, which is a huge marketing mistake. If you're going to use a pseudonym, really think about why, and you really need to keep everything separate. So I, I hacked my list way down to less than 300 people because those were the 300 200 and I don't know, 75, whatever it was, it was just under 300 people who were engaging with me, who wanted to hear from me, who were reading my books. That was my true fan base. And for me, again, the philosophy when I was hearing other people was have really high numbers on your mailing list, but they didn't seem to be too concerned with engagement rate. And I couldn't understand why, why they were focused on the numbers. Cause it's in my opinion, it's not a numbers game. It's an engagement game. If it's a game at all, it's about engagement and, and writing great stories that people want to read. You know, that's and, interesting, you know, Valerie, because some people want the numbers, I, I assume, and you know this as well, because they, because people say, well, how many people mm -hmm. are reading your book or buying your book and how big, how long is your email list? And so your interest in engaging can result, I assume, in making sure that you know what your audience wants because they're engaging with you and it, be, it better, it better hones down your audience. Is that also um, what you're looking to do? I want to develop a relationship with my readers. I am not interested in shoving books at people who don't like to read the types of books that I write or don't like to read books at all. I'm looking for the people who are interested in the types of stories that I write mm -hmm. and the types of things that I'm about, the types of writers who have the same philosophy as me. Because I think we have a lot to learn from one another. Because I'm a writer and an editor, there, there is some overlap because writers are... Uh, our readers, right? Right. So there's, there's definitely overlap between the two lists, but they're not the same list. They are definitely two groups. So I really wanted to think about what are these people, these two groups, what do they want to hear from? Hear, hear me say, what do they want to hear from me about? What is going to get them to open an email? What's going to be useful to them. So for readers, I thought, well, a book club would be great. I'd been toying with this idea for a long time and I didn't know how I would use it or where I would use it or why I would use it. And I thought, well, this just allows me to open up a discussion with other people who are passionate about books and stories by, for, and about women. And we can talk about the stories. So I started a book club for my readers and every month I send out um, just a, a quick I keep it less than 500 words. It's a strict rule because I want it to be a fast read. And I just want to let people know what I think about the book, whether I recommend it or not. I usually try and pick books that uh, I would, would recommend that they spend their hard-earned money on. And I review the audio and the, the story itself, uh, give them links to where they can go buy it. There's, no, there's nothing in that for me other than an opportunity to get to know other people who are really passionate about stories just like I am. Then for the people who are on my list who are writers, I started something called A Writer's Life. It's, it's a blog, but it's kind of like a column because, as I said a minute ago, the reality of this business is 180 degrees from, the, from what people think, from the public perception of it. So I wanted a little, to give people a little glimpse, again, it's less than 500 words, of what a writer's life is really about. You know, if you, if you watch a movie and the protagonist is an author, it's, you, it's often some sort of performance story and 
there's this montage, a minute or a minute and a half montage of the, the character actually writing the book. And then presto magico, the bestseller pops out. <laughs> well, right. in reality, our jobs as authors is a whole lot of time sitting in a room by ourselves, caught up in our own heads. And even when we go out to be with our families, we're there at the supper table physically, but mentally we're in our own world, right? I know, that is so problem. true. So I think writers must be difficult to live with. <laughs> <laughs> it requires very understanding uh, housemates <laughs> and yes. family members. Wow. So those are the two lists that I've created, the two regular mail outs that I created. And it's been a lot of fun for me. And I'm getting a lot of feedback. I'm getting, a, I'm getting new subscribers. I encourage people to circulate this to their friends and get their friends to sign up. It's, it's also on my website, though people don't even technically need to sign up to get those things. Mm -hmm. But it's the convenience of just having it pop in their inbox and they can read it, share it, delete it, save it, whatever they want to do with it. Then the other thing that I just created recently in the last oh, six months or so, I guess, is something that I'm calling the inner circle. That's really for the story nerds, the people who are serious about improving their craft and leveling up their craft. And it came about because, well, I'm studying story every single day, right? I'm a professional author and a professional editor. So this is what I do. I have so much stuff here. There's information rattling around in my brain. There's, I've got tools that I create to help me with my novels, like the character sheet. Uh, that, that has been very popular. It's good for me, but it's not helping anybody else. And part of what I want to do is share what I know with as many writers as I can so that they can learn, they can get better, they can share with me what they know so I can learn and I can get better. This is the whole philosophy of the Story Grid Editor Roundtable podcast. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's how we came together. That's what it's about every week. We're looking at the same story and sharing with each other what we've discovered from it but doing it in a way that benefits the writing community generally. Right now, there's four people on the show. I mean, that's a lot of people to have on a show. We work very hard to keep it under an hour. We could go on for hours and hours on every episode, but we end up with all this extra stuff. So Leslie, who is my, Leslie Watts, who is my editor on my novel, we decided to create this thing called the Unpodcast because creating the Roundtable podcast is super time-consuming. It's a lot of work and we didn't want to have to duplicate that amount of work. We thought if it's an unpodcast, we'll just have it available to our mailing list. You can't get it in the normal, regular podcast places. You have to be either in the inner circle or signed up to Leslie's mailing list at writership.com. And we're really into the weeds of applying all the story, the story principle and the story theory, actually applying it to the written word. We're using my current work in progress as an example, but we're also pulling from other examples. So it's really practical, hands-on stuff. And we're calling it the Unpodcast because it's much more of a fluid conversation as opposed to a formal podcast environment where we are on the Roundtable podcast. It's more, it feels more like the StoryGrid flagship podcast, which is a conversation. If anyone's listened to that, you can really hear Sean and Tim having a very fluid back and forth. So that's what the Unpodcast is about. And I put the little introduction up on my website and I put the first episode up on my website because Leslie and I were recording this for the Unpodcast and then we needed to fill in a slot on the Roundtable podcast. So we offered that one up. So it's already public. So we just popped that over on my site so people can hear the type of content that they can expect to get when they sign up. And that's such a good idea where you're helping people put tools to paper almost 
There's so much to learn from analyzing even a short story or a daggone paragraph, but you're going from the concept stage to application. Right. And this is an area that I find a lot of writers struggle with. I'm going to sound a little bit crass right now, and I don't mean to, but it's sort of the reality of this this business. A lot of people come into this business truly believing that they don't need to study the craft. They they believe that because they are literate, they already know how to write a a novel or a book, fiction or nonfiction. Mm -hmm. And that is simply not the case. And this is the the harsh reality that hits them when they cross the threshold into this world and they think, what the heck is going on? How how do I navigate this crazy story I have in my mind? People start off great and then wander in the middle build or get lost or frustrated and Mm -hmm. toss their hands up and throw the thing in a drawer and, and they end up feeling like failures when they're not failures. What's happening there is that they don't understand that this is a craft. And the craft, like any other craft, can and should be learned and studied. Well, I just want to be really clear that the story grid is not a formula. What it is, is an editing method. And when a reader, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, when a person picks up a book, they pick it up with a set of expectations in mind. And that starts right from the cover. So if they pick up if they're fans of fantasy novels or love stories or whatever, they pick it up expecting a great love story. There are certain things that make up a great love story. They pick up a fantasy because they're expecting a great fantasy. They're expecting things like magic. They're expecting action. They're expecting conflict to happen. There are certain things that they want from that book. Unless you are studying stories across genre, in my opinion, but especially in the genre that you plan to write in, you're not gonna necessarily know what those expectations are, what the reader's expectations are. So you're gonna have a lot harder time meeting them. There are novels that are written according to formula. Um, Romances have a formula, especially the Harlequin ones, which were right down to the page count because they had to fit in certain turnstiles and stores and all that kind of stuff. And there's an audience for those. If you pick up a Harlequin, you pick it up because you want a Harlequin story. So the writers and the team of writers better deliver on those. If you Mm -hmm. pick up a James Patterson book, you're expecting a certain type of story. So James Patterson and his team of writers better deliver on that, right? If you're picking up a war story, you're expecting a certain type of story. And the readers feel cheated if they don't get it. That's right. And what happens is they don't recommend your story. And if someone says, oh, well, have you read such and such a book? They'll say, yeah, yeah, well, how was it? It was okay, I guess. But then they pick up books like Da Vinci Code, which took off by word of mouth. Mm -hmm. Uh, Eat, Pray, Love took off with word of mouth. Whatever the Harry Potter, I mean, come on. If you can get a group of kids who are reluctant readers to pick up your book and love it and tell their friends about it to the point where they can't wait for the next book to come out. And when it's released, as soon as they get it, they sit on the floor of the bookstore to read it. You know how to write. (laughs) (laughs) And it doesn't just happen. People like to say, oh, well, it was JK Rowling's debut series. Well, that may be true, but she'd been writing for 25 years at that point. There, it's so much to learn and so exciting when you figure some of it out. I mean, I don't have it all figured out, but when something clicked and I think, oh my gosh, that's right. That's what, you know, that's what's described as we're looking at character arc or, you know, the that's hook. Right. 
the hook or the point of view. So it's just very rewarding. And it's a long, it is a long process um, leveling up your craft. Well, it's, it's throughout your career, right? That's right. The goal, in my opinion, my goal for myself anyway, when I started this, I made a promise to myself that every book that I write will be the best book that I can write at that point in my career. That means that I am always writing at the very edge of my ability. That means I'm constantly trying to level up. I'm constantly trying to learn something more, something new. It means I'm reading across genre. I'm trying to discover as many new writers as I can, see how they handle certain issues within their book. What do I like about it? What don't I like about it? To me, that's how this business goes. It's not about writing a book a month and tossing it out, uh, uh, you know, onto Amazon and hoping that the algorithm God is kind to you. And he changes or she changes. The algorithm God changes every, every, every time you turn around. So you just don't know. Right. I mean, if I think of my habits as a reader, when I go to Amazon or go to Kobo or walk into my local bookstore, I'm looking for one of two things, either a particular writer or a particular genre. Neither of those two things really have much to do with algorithm. If I go to amazon.com or amazon.ca in my case, since I'm in Canada, I'm not trolling through the various lists. I'm there looking for a particular book by a particular author that I've heard about from a writer friend or an editor friend because they know me. They know what mm-hmm. I like. They know mm-hmm. what I don't like. So they are essentially curating information to give me. The people who are in my book club will send me their favorite book because they know what type of books I like. They'll say, hey, I read this great one. You should give it a read. That's yeah. how this really works. And that's and you referenced earlier how important it is to get involved with fellow writers. I mean, bouncing ideas off of one another. How many writer groups are you a member of? <laughs> well, I'm in a number of them, but I'm only active in one. And I'm in a number of them because I sort of joined everything as I was going through my my career from when I started to now. The only one I'm really active in right now is StoryGrid because these are my people. This is my tribe. These are the people who are committed to leveling up their craft, to improving the craft, and they understand the importance of story and the power of story. They're all interested in writing, well, the same type as book. Uh, the same type of book as me, but when I say that, I mean a book that is focused on the craft and that everything is in service of the story rather than everything being in service of the algorithm. Really, StoryGrid is the only place I'm active now. Just wanted to let the listeners know when they listen, for example, to these podcasts that we referenced, that is to say the two podcasts, one's the StoryGrid podcast and the other is a roundtabler. Let me make sure I say that title correctly. It's the StoryGrid Editor Roundtable. That is on the StoryGrid website. Not only can you listen to the podcast there, as well as iTunes and other broadcast platforms, you also get the written word transcribed into the written word. And I and there have been many times that I've printed out podcast shows because they're so rich with information. They so, are. They're gold they are. And you know, I think you all talked one time about w- one of the benefits of the story grid is that you have th- as a vocabulary that you all understand <laughs> what you're talking about. It is. Um, I mentioned that Leslie's my editor. People ask me why, if I'm an editor, why do I have an editor? Well, I mean, I have a hairstylist who is great, but she doesn't cut her own hair. Right. right. It's because as writers, we get so close to our own work that we lose perspective. And there's only two ways to get that perspective back. One, put the manuscript in your drawer for a few months to get distance from it. Like I'm reading Masquerade again now, two years after I wrote it, because I'm preparing to create a 
print version of it. And I'm really having to discipline myself to not edit anything. But it's a fresh story to me now because I haven't read it in two years. So you can put a story away for a while and come back to it. Or you can actually get someone who hasn't read the story. Leslie is dynamite. And she likes, I'm writing a thriller and she loves thrillers. So I roped her into this odyssey with me. (laughs) (laughs) And we're having a ball. But when we get on the phone, it's a really different type of conversation. There's a lot of shorthand. It takes too long to explain what you're talking about if you don't have the same vocabulary. Um, That's what the story good has created. Help me understand so many things. And I, and when I talk to my fellow writers, if they're not into the story grid and not everybody has to be into the story grid, I'm not suggesting that, but if they're not involved in it, you know, you spend a lot of time trying to explain what you're trying to talk about. I wanted to ask you about your thriller. Tell me what's going on with that. Well, as part of my certification work, I did a full story grid analysis of any novel that I wanted. I could pick any novel in the English language. For some reason, the muse decided I should do Dracula by Bram Stoker. And when I did it, it was really challenging because it's, first of all, it's epistolary. Bram Stoker, for all of the wonderful things that he got right in that book. He got some things wrong in that book, which made it very difficult to analyze. When I submitted it to Sean in my exhausted state, very anxious state, because there's nothing a little more stressful than knowing Sean Coyne is going to read your work. I said, you know, I think we've got, we've got an opportunity here to sort of re- reimagine Dracula according to story grid principles. And he got on the phone and he said, all right, go for it. But don't just rewrite the novel because that's an academic exercise, which while interesting to him and to me is not particularly interesting to anybody else. So he challenged me to create a new novel and it's a story within a story. So we do have Stoker's work embedded in there because that's the whole point of this um, mm-hmm. This exercise, this is how it all started. So that is in there, but it's not the main story. It is a psychological thriller. That's what I have turned it into. And uh, it's a very exciting project. It took me 18 months actually to crack the story and to figure out how to get into the story. Once I did, it took me another four months really to get the editor's six core questions nailed down. And and the editor's six core questions basically are the foundational pieces that you need of a story to really get it to work. So when I figured out my theme, that's when the story started to crack open. And believe it or not, it took me 18 months to figure out that a story, the psychological thriller that involved vampires was about immortality. <laughs> Talk <laughs> about being too close to your work. Yeah. So when I figured out that that was the theme and that's the whole notion that I'm exploring in this novel, that's when all the pieces started to come together. Uh, I live in Newfoundland on the mm-hmm. east coast of Canada. So it's a fictional world, but based very much on an island that is off the island that I live on. So it's very remote. It's in the North Atlantic. It is modern day, but it's sort of creepy and spooky and wonderful. (laughs) So um, when do you expect it to be published? Well, I don't know. Um, I'm hoping I will, Sean is going to read it because he's, if nothing else, really curious to see what I come up with. So once I get the manuscript done, I have to finish it. Leslie has to edit it. Then we'll present it to Sean. He'll read it. And if he wants to publish it, then it will be whenever he can fit it into his schedule. If not, then I'll publish it through my own company. So certainly 2021, perhaps. So you have your own publication company? 
I do. Yes. I only publish my own work. When I started, I made more of a deal out of my publishing company. And what happened was that I got inundated with unsolicited manuscripts of writers who wanted me to publish their work. It looked like I was a third party publisher and I'm not. Mm -hmm. I'm an independent author but one who's very focused on the craft and very focused on producing not only quality stories, but quality products in terms of the physical book, the design of the book. Uh, once I get Masquerade done in print, I'll be branching out into audio, but these are big investments. They're, they're, the price tag's pretty high to create these quality products. Yeah, and, you, and then you have the control that you need and that you want. Are you going to be using your own voice for the audio book or do you think you'll hire someone? No, I plan to hire a voice actor. The, the thing about this business is that you get to a point where you have to outsource anything that you can't and that you haven't got to do yourself because writing new content is the name of the game here, right? Writing the next yeah. novel. So if I spend all my time doing the layout, which I did with my first book, if I spend all my time recording the audio and all that good stuff, that's less time that I spend writing the next book. Which is, so I've what, got to focus. Which, which is what you want to do. I mean, because you're a writer. That's right. That's exactly yeah. right. I want to thank you so much, Valerie. This has been so good. Um, I have learned so much and I'm sure that the audience is going to be so happy about the takeaways, you know, the book club that you started, Masquerade and the 12 parts and how you're releasing those 12 parts, as well as your work as a certified story grid editor and the three podcasts that you're involved in. That is the Story Grid Editor Roundtable, the book launch show with Tim Grawl and Unpodcast, the up podcast show that you're doing with Leslie Watts. This has been such a rich presentation and I thank you so much. You are very welcome. Thank you so much for listening to In The Know. If you would like to support the show, you can do so by subscribing and sharing it with your family and friends. You can like this episode, leave a comment, and even add a rating. Your support is very important to the success of In The Know. Thank you for listening and see you next time.